trying to continue to build those those pieces of the business rather than kind of pining for some pie in the sky like oh i'm gonna be an avenger or something you know what i mean like these these ideas getting plucked out of somewhere i think i think they work if you're like a really hot australian guy who's 22 but yeah and unfortunately you're just not australian right right no i am really hot and 22 though yeah so close no close Welcome and thank you for listening to Almost Almost Famous, the podcast where actors, writers, comedians talk about the ups and downs, ebbs and flows of working towards making it in this crazy biz and how they're almost, almost famous. I'm your host, Daniel Acker, and today's guest is a talented actor, writer, comedian, producer, and dear friend. Please welcome Charlie Faith. Yo, yo, yo. That's a classic Charlie entrance. That's a classic podcast entrance, I think. Very true, very true. How much time did you spend writing that intro? Uh, not long, does it show? <laughs> the ups and downs, ebbs and flows of this wacky, kooky business. Yeah, I was like, okay, I need something quick. I, the, one, the thing I like about it is you're, you barrel through it. You know, I, I hate the protracted intro. Okay, I don't know if you're kidding or not, but I agree with that. I don't want... I, like, when I'm listening to a podcast, it's like, I, okay, okay, blah, blah, blah. Like, I try to be like, here's what it is. You're probably also listening at double speed. I'm just trying to get to like the meme detail. Have you in your life ever given yourself a personal definition of success? Yeah, I suppose so. Uh, I've always wanted to sell a television show, which I've done. Um, you know, my, my like, you know, dream version of it when I was coming out of college was to sell a scripted show that I wrote you know, the, the college kid actor fantasy of like, I'm going to write my own show and I'm going to be the lead of it. And I'm going to also be like, you know, I'm going to like have Seinfeld or something or, you know, whatever. So yeah, that's something I've always wanted to do. And I, I, you know, I worked as a reality and still work as a reality TV producer. Um, and in my role, uh, in my years of doing that, I've sold shows, uh, to pilot, <laughs> a couple shows to pilot so, you know, I, that was, that's sort of a feather in my cap, I suppose. But I think as with a lot of milestones in this business, you reach them and realize that it's not like there's just more milestones. The, the goalposts move a lot. Mm. What were some of the shows you sold? Like any that you're like, oh, that was a, that was a good little project. Yeah, they were fun. I mean, so I came, moved here from college, uh, worked in restaurants for many years and was just sort of like, <clears throat> you know, doing sketch shows and, with the groundlings and all that shit. And then uh, I had an opportunity to work on a show called Chrisley Knows Best, which is a show on USA that's about a crazy family. It's like a documentary, docu-follow comedy show. And from there, I was able to sort of climb the ranks doing different reality things. And so I was working at a small production company for a long time called Collab. And we were, uh, they worked with a lot of influencers and digital, you know, celebrity people and we were taking people from that world and pitching their their shows and so I'm pretty cynical about reality tv um which I you know about half of the reality production world is really cynical about it and the other half is like this is good I actually think this is good and so those people are really deranged when you meet them but anyway so uh all of this is preamble to say there were my first few shows that we took out with that company uh, we found some really fun internet people and 
you know, I don't know if the, sh you know, the shows went to pilot. I think the, the personalities were good. It was a great experience for me. We had one in particular that was called Alabama Boss, and he was this sort of bearded hillbilly guy. So it was like, he had the Duck Dynasty appeal, but the whole bit was he was, or the whole reality was he was developing an app. So we had a really fun, we shot a really fun pilot for History Channel with him, uh, like going to Silicon Valley and sort of a fish out of water thing. And, um, you know, with the, with those like half hour shows for reality, it, it is, you are like creating scenes and bits. So it's sort of this like, it's like writing for dummies. It's not really writing. You know, there was another one we shot in Bakersfield that was really fun. That was like a funny dog. Like, um, and one was sort of a sketch show that I was really proud of actually, that went, it went to CMT. It was with this kid from Alabama who did these like really goofy sketches on Vine. And it had sort of an Andy Milanakis, Tim and Eric kind of vibe to it. Mm. And, you know, it was just tricky because, you know, as you know, with these things, it's like you sell it as one thing and then, you know, the, the executive who buys it likes it and then someone else comes in with feedback and then there's more feedback. And so suddenly it went from what was supposed to be a sketch show to more of a reality show. And it just sort of, uh, you know, it just, it, by the time it got finished, the pilot was done. It was not, uh, it was kind of like, trying to be too many different things. It was like a reality show with an absurdist spin. They're like, is this a goof? Or like, am I supposed to believe this guy's cat talks? Like, I don't get it. Like, it was just, it, it was really fun to do, but it, it kind of ended up falling into a weird realm. Mm -hmm. Now with having and being able to have the producer hat, which I feel like a lot of actors do not have, mm -hmm. do you find that that's helped you navigate acting or your own personal career? Yeah, I mean, I think being on the other side, having hired showrunners and hired, you know, writers and all kinds of different people for various different types of gigs and actors, too, it does demystify that thing a little bit. I was thinking about this actually, knowing what we would be talking about, and there were a lot of opportunities early in my career when I was still working in restaurants that I think I, I maybe could have capitalized more on if I had had kind of the confidence that I got after becoming a producer. You know, I did a NBC pilot just a, like a one-line thing on an NBC pilot that just kind of fell in my lap like right when I moved here and I like this was kind of like okay and like didn't like that was a moment where I could have like reached out to people and like hey just so you know I just did this like should we take a meeting like you know like maybe like chase down managers agents other producers and part of it was I didn't have the Rolodex to do that but the other you know I was just like oh they don't care they don't want to hear about this and having been a producer it's like you realize that people like you want someone to hand you something that's good, whether that's a piece of talent or a, a script or, you know, whatever, whatever, uh, you know, director that's exciting. You want that person to fall in your lap because producers jobs are not to do that stuff. Their job isn't to be creative, even though a lot of them maybe are doing that on the side or in other parts of their business. You know, everyone says this, but it's true. Like they, they, when you walk into a room, they want you badly to just be the person because then their job is done. They can go home. Like if you're the right actor or the right writer or the right creative for the job, that makes their job easier. So, you know, it's not that I don't get nervous and stuff doing those things or, or it's not like, it's not like I don't have any self-doubt, but definitely thinking to those moments of being like, oh, thank God this guy just walked in and he's the right guy. I'm, I'm very happy about that. Mm -hmm. And with that, have you learned that when you are on the other side and auditioning or anything like that, because you know it's about finding the right person, does that help you realize like, well, if I am the right person, I'm the right person. If not, I don't need to take it so personal. Yeah, I think so. Um, 
I think that that's a good way to put it actually. And, and I've been going out a bit, you know, as an actor, I still go out commercially and, and sometimes theatrically if stuff comes up and uh, yeah, in those moments, it's like, I'm just like, there's some guy like me in a room somewhere who's going to watch this and they're either going to want me or not. And it's not me. And it's not even entirely the guy. Like it's, you know, you're just trying to like please a bunch of masters. And so, yeah, I, I think that that helps. It doesn't get rid of those like sort of nerves or wanting to do well or any of that. But I think that you're right. Like the aftermath of it is just sort of like, I, I don't care. Like I don't even think about not hearing back or, or whatever. And when I do, it's great. And if I don't, I, you know, put it behind me. And you mentioned selling some shows and being a producer. Have there been other kind of milestones or points in your career where you felt like you've made it or do you not give it that definition? I think, you know, I think that that changes. I think that's probably true for most people. Um, for me, you know, like I said, I moved here wanting to sell shows, scripted shows that I could act in. <clears throat> I ended up going this route of kind of this reality show route, reality sitcom kind of thing. And then, you know, and, you know, obviously as you and I both went through the Gramlings together, it was like suddenly while I was doing that, I was then launched back into more the acting side of my career because I started doing the Sunday Company. And suddenly that was like, oh, right. Like that was another moment where I was like, I guess I'm more of a producer behind the scenes guy. And then doing comedy on stage again, I was like, that kind of pushed me, you know, that the way the Groundlings work, if you don't know, it's like you're waiting and waiting and waiting and then suddenly your ticket comes up and you're just, you have an opportunity to, to perform potentially. And I hadn't really been performing. And so the opportunity to suddenly do that kind of made me go like, oh, right. I can like, I'm like not bad at this part of it either. So, so yeah, I think that like that was a, that was a milestone for me. Maybe not one where I was like looking towards it, but looking back on it, I realized like looking at where I am now, like my business is like, or my career is much more, like there is an acting element to it. There's a, a definite writing element to it. There's a definite producing element to it. And those parts, n none of those parts are like greater or smaller than the other, which I think before, you know, before doing some of that, getting back into the acting side, I think that had kind of taken a back seat for a while. It sort of reinvigorated kind of opening up different avenues or different paths. Yeah, it opened, it's definitely opened up some, some paths. And also I think just gave me the confidence to be like, I don't need to be like, I think there's a thing in this town, especially when you work on the producing side, where people really like to shit on actors. <laughs> like actors, like, and you know, a lot of agents and managers and writers, even and producers, are you know failed actors to an extent, or people who wanted to act and then didn't do it. So there's sort of this like animosity towards actors, I think. They're considered sort of like the lowest form. There's also, I mean, there's some truth to it. There's a million people who move here thinking that they can act. And then there's a lot of people who are total hacks who like end up making a lot of money on some, you know, shitty show for a hundred years. So there, I think the, the kind of the lottery ticket element of acting makes people sort of not take it as seriously as something like writing or producing where there's like kind of a discipline to it, even though there should be a discipline to acting. But uh so yeah, I was kind of ashamed of like the act. I was like, oh, this isn't as legitimate. But then having sort of the confidence of, of performing again, I was like, oh yeah, yeah. Like I, even if there are a lot of hacky actors who just got off a bus from, you know, Ohio or whatever, like I have done the work and like, I know what I'm doing. And so I don't need to feel insecure about that. Because mm. I'm sure with most of your career, some of your career being a producer, you're just kind of in rooms where if they're just like, uh, actors, it's hard to be like, I'm also one. Well, yeah, it, that's always a weird 
line and, and people, the powers that be, whatever job you're on, take those things. Like, like some people are like, I don't want this guy. Like, tr- like, what is he going to like use this as like his real? Like he's like trying to like, he's like taking advantage of our, uh, we're paying him to be a producer and he's doing this. So I, you get that vibe sometimes. And then other people are like, you know, I've done some like, I produced some marketing stuff last year and we were casting a VO actor and I just did the temp VO while we were cutting it because we were like cutting it and casting it at the same time. And I had written it and, and the guy that <clears throat> the head of the company that we were making this stuff for, like, was like, should we just use you? And I like, couldn't, I was like, are you joking? Like you could just use me if you want, but and other stuff, I've had some interviews and stuff where it's like, where people are like, Oh, that's great. You have that acting thing. We can throw you in something for a sizzle reel or whatever. And so it's like, it's one of those things where it is sort of a balancing act where some people see it as a value and other people get really protective because they're like, are you just using this to advance your acting career or something? And I think that that's, I don't know, it's, it's always a, a, a fine line, but it is nice when you're cutting something that's like VO driven or something just to be like, I'm just going to record it. The editors can work with it. Like a lot of producers are very introverted. Yeah. Cause I feel like this business really loves to pigeonhole. And they love to be like, well, no, no, like you, the fact that you are a multi-hyphenate and you can do a bunch of stuff sometimes throws people for a loop. It's like, well, what are you, what are you, like, what do you really want to do? Where do you find like the, like in yourself, the confidence to be like, I am all these things and I can do all these things well. I mean, I think it's just having done them, honestly, uh, you know, it's, but I think that you're right. I, you know, I don't know. I definitely kind of have a different way that I present myself depending on what I'm, you know, going in for. Like, you know, the, you know, I've got, diff- I've got a resume for, I've got different resumes for each of these sort of parts of my life. And I have sort of a different contact list for these parts of my life. And, and so it is, you know, to, to be honest, I don't like go into an acting audition or, or a writing meeting and like mention reality stuff. And I don't go into a reality uh, job interview and like, you know, mention that I'm like about to pitch some scripted show. Like, you know, like I might mention it, but like, and those are a little bit closer, but the act, like it is sort of, you know, I think people get a little, I think it is about like letting people, like being like, I'm a specialist in this one thing and they don't, you know, they don't need to know. And then over time, if you're hired, they can learn more about you and be like, oh, okay, you do these other things. But I I understand like it's putting the best foot forward. You know, and, and and truth be told, like if you're going up for a, you know, say a reality project, you know, and you know that you're going to need to like dip out and take some auditions, like you're, that's basically, like if that was any other job, you're like, oh, you're going to be interviewing for another job the whole time that you're here. Like if you worked at like a bank and you were like, oh yeah, I'm going to be like taking meetings with an insurance company I want to work for like once a week, uh, they'd be like, yeah, screw you, dude. So it is a weird thing where you do have to sort of, play those things where it doesn't feel like people are a little more understanding because it's a creative world, but like there is that sentiment of like, Oh, this guy's just, this guy's just parking his car here for a minute while he like tries to do these other things. So. Yeah. Do you find like with those situations, you're more likely to be like, we'll cross these bridges if they come up, like do the job interview. If I get the job, that's when you'd sort of like, by the way, there might be an audition or two or you kind of just like, only when they come up to you. I mean, it depends. Um, you know, if it's a, if it's a freelance gig, if it's something that's just lasting a few months, uh, usually it's like, 
you know, they know that it's like, I'm going to be trying to line up the next thing. So those are really easy to like have these other parts of it. When you're looking at full-time work, yeah, it is like, I actually, when we were doing Sunday company had meetings with uh, some commercial agents and had to just be like, I can't do this. Like I can't be available. Like I don't want, I know how strict commercial agents are with their clients having talked to my other friends who would already had them. And it's like, if you like don't call, like if you're going to leave on a Friday for a three day weekend, you need, you better tell this person like a month in advance and, or they're going to like have a shit fit, which whether that's fair or not is, is a separate thing. But so when I had the, my first meetings, I was like, Oh, I, I can't do this. I work a full-time job and like, I can't, like my employer is not going to allow me to do this. And then, you know, when I, I left that company and, and I'm fr- a freelancer now, so I set my own schedule. So I went back to them. And then of course, like, I find out doing it. I was like, Oh, these guys are like great. And they're super like, they've been super flexible with me. And, and, and yeah, they aren't domineering like agents, like some people's are, but, but yeah, it's, it is that balancing act. Now as someone who produces and writes and acts and nurse, is there one field that you are more passionate about or one that you would like, if you had to choose the one of like, this is what I'd want for my career. I'd rather focus on, writing or acting or directing or producing? I mean, you know, if someone called me tomorrow and was like, hey, do you want to just like do Chuck Lorre dialogue on CBS for uh, for eight years? Like, that would be great. <laughs> like, you know, something like, I think that, I think that's something that's kind of coming into it. Well, let me backtrack. So I, you know, I'm an actor first. I, that's what I studied in college. That's sort of the initial thing I was drawn to. But even at that age, I was like doing like video production and stuff as a kid but ended up studying acting. I see myself sort of as an actor first. And so, yeah, if there was an opportunity to, to do, to do that on a show that I didn't even create or whatever, you know, something that's like steady work that would just, you know, be fun and, and, and uh, cool. That would be great. But I think a big part of it that's come in to the picture I felt since I've, you know, been in my thirties is that you, you kind of start seeing, and I don't know if this is true for you, but I like, I see people I know who sort of started in, other fields. And so when you're in your twenties, you're out of college, everyone's like eating ramen and trying to scrape it together. Even the people who are going to an investment bank or you're working in an agency or whatever. And then in your thirties, you're starting to see like those people have just been kind of steadily, some of those people anyway, have been steadily climbing those ladders, those corporate ladders. And you see like that they're living pretty comfortably. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's like a financial aspect to it where you're like, Oh man, like, I'm still buying these lottery tickets for some of these parts of this, this industry. And these people have like kind of built the, the thing. So for me, it like, it really is, you know, I think this happened when I became a producer, but I really consider it like my business. And just like, if you're a lawyer, you might not get super excited about doing some kind of contract law. Like if that's part of your business, you just do it. And for me, it's sort of like, you know, I, I don't really think in the terms of like, Ooh, wouldn't the, like the fantasy of like, I'm going to get plucked and like put into somebody else's project because I'm like the perfect person for me. It's about like creating opportunities, whether that's, you know, writing stuff with people or collaborating with people or, you know, trying to say yes when someone asks you to be in some no pay student thing or not student thing, but you know, like trying to continue to build those, those pieces of the business rather than kind of pining for some, pie in the sky, like, Oh, I'm going to be an Avenger or something. You know what I mean? Like these, these ideas, getting plucked out of somewhere. I think, I think they work if you're like a really hot Australian guy who's 22, but yeah. And unfortunately you're just not Australian. Right. Right. No, I am really hot and 22 though. Yeah. So close. No, close. 
I've never been super celebratory. Like, I, like when, like even when I like sold my first show and stuff, and you know, other people I'd come up with, we were all really excited. To me, it was always like I'm looking to the next. Like, I don't dwell on these wins, which is maybe something I should do a little more because they don't come around that often. So, you know, I maybe should stop and smell the roses on those things a little more, I guess. But uh, it is really that thing of like, yeah, this is the, this is the job, and those things are are cool, I guess. It's not the end game, right? Like the end, the end game is to be working. <laughs> the end game is, is having a, a finished product that's good, I guess. Yeah. But, what do you think that is about you or where do you think that stems from where you aren't as celebratory or you're just kind of like, great, we reached this point. What's the next? Well, I went to nine years of Catholic school. So that kind of beats any kind of uh, fun or joy out of you. No, I, I don't know. I, I, I've noticed it when I've been going through stuff with people like, when I'm in the same place as other people and we have a, a win together or, or whatever together, I just, am, I don't know. I'm maybe I'm cynical or, or just always like, I'm just always waiting for the other shoe to drop. And, you know, I think it also might be that I don't ever, tr- I try to never get my hopes up. So, so like if your hopes are really high and then something happens, you're like ecstatic. And, but if you're like, this is never going to happen. And then it happens, you're like, Oh, I, I guess it happened. Okay, cool. That went through. I guess now I'm the next thing. Now it's interesting that you have this outlook yet you, pursue and pursue acting like it seems like almost a very optimistic field for a lot of people to get into so like at what age or point were you like I love acting and this is what I want to do yeah when I was in high school I did I was in some plays in high school and I was like never the lead and like you know sort of was just doing them because I like knew I wanted to do it but I wasn't really getting a ton out of it and then at the same time I was in a video production class in my high school and I really loved that. And I did that for two years uh, and it was really fun. Um, so I was gonna be a film major, you know, basically realized that, you know, at Santa Barbara, they didn't have a production film. They had a film studies program that I had gotten into. And I like, you know, was kind of like convinced myself that I wanted to do that and that that was the same kind of thing. And then as I got there, I realized it wasn't really the first, like I wanted to do like real production if I was gonna do that. But at the same time, I realized they had a really good acting program they have like a conservatory style acting program it's the only one in the uc system so i was like you could audition for that and i was like well i'll audition for that sort of to see and i got in and it's you know it's only like 15 people get in or 20 people get in and uh, i was like well i guess i should see this through and so i did that and but you know then i think it was really important because it pushed me i had never really been challenged as an actor i was like thrown in like plays in high school or whatever and this was like you have to like be emotional and I think that as a writer and a producer I my I don't think I would have the taste and the sensibility that I do if I hadn't been forced like into that kind of world I finally kind of like I knew I liked acting but I didn't understand what it was until I was like really studying it and so I think that that was sort of the the moment that solidified it for me but you know, also I've always wanted to do comedy too. And that's, you know, I think the comedy isn't as optimistic. I think that's kind of a thing that, that bugs me about like improv and, and sketch. I like it a lot, but it's a lot of actors who are like, want to treat it like we're doing like Midsummer Night's Dream at like, you know, you know, some fucking summer stock theater. And it's just like, I want this to be a little more like biting or something. I don't know. Like, a, like I don't know. Sort of like the difference between sketch and stand up. Um, yeah. And with that, did you ever do stand-up? Or have you ever thought of doing stand-up? I haven't ever really done it. No, I, yeah, I just haven't done it. It's, it's sort of one of those, I have some shame about it that I haven't done it. Because I think that I, it feels like one of the last 
things in the comedy world that I haven't done. And it's a, such a huge thing. You know, I don't, I don't think that I'll ever be the like, per, you know, I don't think I'll ever have like comic cred, but it's something I should do, I think. It would be a fit for you. Like, I'm actually surprised you've never jumped into that, those waters. Yeah, it's, it is one of those things. I also think, you know, something I've noticed in comedy is there's like sort of two types of comedians, especially on like the sketch improv side. There's like comedy, there's comedy actors or comedians who are like very funny on stage and then off stage, very, very funny. And then there's sketch comedy comedians who are like amazing on stage, but then you get off and they're just like some normal, like they're not like conversationally super interested in being witty. Like they're just sort of like nice regular Mm -hmm. people who just happen to be spectacular character actors and have a great comic sense of that. So I, I find... I find that very interesting. And I think that comics tend to be almost exclusively both like desperate to be funny in a conversation and on stage as opposed to comedic actors. Yes. I think that I definitely have the mental disorder of wanting to be funny conversationally. Yeah. Let this podcast not reflect that though. Right. No. And we haven't, we haven't been doing it. For the listeners who are confused by what was just said, he he is very funny in person, but this is not, this is a real downer for me. Have you done stand-up before? Yeah, and I always liked it. To me, stand-up is kind of my favorite when it hits, but I think I, I hit more often in improv. Mm. Like, so it's sort of like my, my batting average, so to speak, is up when I'm doing improv. So I get more of a rush, but... Drugs. Yeah, when you are... And also, my, my issue with stand-up is it is truly is a much more lonely route. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I shit on I shit on the kumbaya aspect of sketch comedy, and then watch me go to like one mic and be like, "Nice to meet me." Please, I'm trying. Um, did you feel like as a kid you were always funny, or were you like, "Yeah, I'm a funny person"? I have that like annoying sort of thing, I guess, that people say it's like you know the class clown thing, like or whatever. Like, I definitely always. You know, I don't know. I think people who pursue comedy professionally tend to have some moment. And I remember that like in second grade, there was like this kid that like a lot of these like girls had like a crush on. They really thought he was like, I just remember like being around as in like, t- like, I mean, this is second grade, but being like around all these girls being like, he's so cute. He's the dreamboat of the thing. And at some point I had like lunch, I just like started on some riff about something and suddenly everyone was laughing, including the cute boy. And I was like, oh, I, that was like, oh, I like these drugs. This is good drugs. I want more of this drugs. And that is what it is, you know, like you're chasing that high of having people think you're funny. I don't know, it's interesting. I find I find like the the sort of entire thing of, of humor is is a very funny thing that is designed you know it's it's like evolutionary thing of like showing that you're you have something in common and that the other person is not a threat it's like this uh sort of very base human communication thing it like has this role in our evolution that i think is very interesting and i think it makes sense that some people are sort of very drawn to it and, and sort of trying to sort of figuring it out because it is it's this uncontrollable reaction you're trying to get out of people it's a very weird thing to, to answer this is maybe too philosophical of an answer to your were you the class clown question but uh that that kind of feedback loop that you were describing with improv and and, and, and stand-up i remember discovering that at a young age and, and chasing that you know i i 
like I, I went like for Halloween, we had this like surfer bro teacher in seventh grade and he like had this like weird like soul patch. Was this Mr. Radical? This is Mr. Radical. He literally wore like a puka shell necklace, had like a fucking uh, like soul patch thing. He was like a surfer dude. I'm from San Diego. So it was like, you know, pretty standard bro. And I dressed up as him for Halloween. <laughs> he had like wraparound sunglasses. It was like this big to do. I went to like a pretty conservative Catholic high school and you're in uniform every day. So like the one day you get to wear a Halloween costume, I dressed up as a teacher. And it was really funny and he thought it was, you know, it, it played very well. All the teachers thought it was funny. All the students thought it like it was, you know, in seventh grade, that's like, you know, you're like Mark Twain for having that idea. You're like the funniest person on earth. And it then the following year, like a bunch of people started dressing up as like other teachers, but like kind of in like really mean spirited costumes, like making fun of them really aggressively. And so then it became like a, like, cause it became a rule that you couldn't dress up as teachers at that school, like two years after I, I had done it. I always find that as a, a big feather. If, if one of my bits leads to a, like a hard rule being made, I feel like I've really achieved something. But it also shows kind of, even at a younger age, your sensibility of comedy of like, it's a bit of an homage with a like satire where it seems like other kids were like, yeah, let's just make fun of teachers. Like, yeah, I, I don't think the kids, I mean, maybe I'm wrong. I don't think that the kids who are like the, had like the severe fuck you attitude end up becoming comedians, even if they got like laughs as kids. I think there is an innate sense of knowing your audience do you feel like that you had that at a young age that ability to sort of know where the line was and 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 creep up to it oh for sure i i feel like to me that was always the difference between a class clown with somebody who was more disruptive and would say and do anything where there's always like a funny student and i was you know a good kid and too worried of like just getting in trouble that I knew my audience. And if I could get the teacher to laugh along with my peers, I was golden. Right. Yeah. I think that that's partly why comedians get offended. They get a little pissed off when uh, non comedians are, you know, object to stuff. And it's, I, I'm not taking a side in that, but I think that there is, there is a sense of like, I've been thinking about this since I was five. Like, this is like, this is a line I've been trying to walk since as long as I can remember. And so if you're good at your job, if you're good, at, if you're thoughtful about your comedy and you're not one of those like, fuck you kids who's waving his ass on the field trip out the bus window, if you're like serious about it and you're disciplined about it, um, you are thinking about that. And look, there's an audience for the kid waving his ass out the window. I think that that's funny sometimes, but, but I do think that those people, when, when you see someone waving their ass out the window, metaphorically and then they get mad when someone's like hey maybe don't wave your ass out the window like at someone's funeral you're like yeah this is not right and then it's like no what i can wave my ass how am i supposed to know when i'm supposed to wave my ass out the window if i can't try it at every event (laughs) yeah it's like what yeah if you don't have any awareness to the context or the setting or the surrounding then you're more likely just asking for trouble yeah. The other thing that always, I mean, uh, the other thing that always baffles me about, and I know that this is just, I know what America needs is another podcast talking about what's okay and not okay to do in comedy. Um, but uh, the thing that always surprises me too is the people who are the most outspoken. It's like, why don't you, don't you even have like a self-preservation instinct in this? Like, don't you have like a, if I do this, even if I disagree with like, this is going, like, I know where this can go and it's going to like, 
really fuck me. Like, so I should maybe like be a little more thoughtful. I don't know. It's frustrating when comedians are like, I have a right to be thoughtless about it. When it feels antagonistic, it's people are like, I don't want to be antagonized. Well, speaking of being antagonized, now's the the time in the show when I invite famed insult comic Raz Clifford. Raz and I haven't spoken in years. Yeah, but that's by design. We did that benefit together and he was so inappropriate with me. Mm-hmm. He, he dumped an entire shrimp cocktail on my head when I, you know, I asked him to back off. Yeah, I think I spoke to him after that night and he was like, I, you know, Charlie seems like the type who loves shrimp cocktail. Right. Yeah, I don't know. I just think it's, he's, all right, if, if, he's, if you already got him lined up. You know. Yeah, we'll get, we'll get Raz out here to give, he's giving my guests a quick Raz to bring them down a peg, but it seems like, get him out here. Hey, Raz, come on, join us. Okay, hello folks. Oh, here we go. Talking to Charlie Faith. Okay, Charlie, I know it's been a while, but for you, I'm pulling out all the stops. Stop! Stop doing comedy, I'm begging you. Charlie, you have the charisma and look of an oil tycoon seconds before a heart attack. I don't know how you do it. But it's ironic, folks, that this man's last name is Faith since he's most certainly going to hell. Folks, if you ever see a scene with Charlie acting in it, I'm sure if you're like me, it reminds you of a dog's balls. It's unsettling, maybe a little interesting, but it definitely should get cut. Right. All right, you've been struck by the Rasmanian devil, you son of a bitch. And uh, I wish I had more shrimp cocktails for you. Okay, bye. You sack of shit, Raz. All right, settle down. Somebody, somebody tranquilize this idiot. Okay. Bye. Bye, Raz. What a, what a horrible man. Yeah. Just a real piece of shit. I don't know why you associate with him. I mean, I would like to say there's good moments with him, but there really isn't. He is a, he's a stick his ass out the window type comic, but getting back into it, even though you're somebody who has produced and wrote and sold TV shows and acts, if you had to do anything not in this business, not in this creative realm, is there another avenue or another profession you've kind of been like, oh, that'd be something I would like to try. I think something, I think law would be something I'm sort of interested in. You know, I don't really know what part of the field, but you know, my sister said to me once, she goes, you live to work, whereas other people work to live. And I think I have always been like my, passion is this creative sort of endeavor and and i i like live to forward that career because i want to do these things and so the success of, of working in the field is is sort of part of the reward and yeah i think if there was a net, if the flip side of the coin ever came where i was like you know what i actually just want to do something where i can like have like a really comfortable lifestyle where i'm not hustling for jobs all the time you know still do a lot of hard work but like have a nice have a comfortable lifestyle. You know, I think being a lawyer is something where you could, you could do that. You could also do a lot of good, you know, like you can still volunteer and there's obviously a need for that in a lot of different causes and stuff. So I don't know, that's something I thought about. And also like if you were a, a litigator, there's a performance aspect to that. If you've ever seen that, any, any NBC Dick Wolf procedural, but yeah, man, I, I had jury duty a while ago and I was like, these people suck at talking in front of a group. This is like, we have a misunderstanding of how good these people are at their jobs because of TV. These people suck. Mm-hmm. So I mean, obviously the expensive guys are good, but like 
there's a part of it where I was like, I think that if I learned all the other parts, like this part I would be good at. Now, you're not somebody who is celebratory or really kind of fantasizes about lofty dreams, but have you at any point thought about a moment when you might be a guest on the late night talk show and what story you would tell? Oh, I tell the story of being on this podcast about what a fucking wasted time it was. Yeah, you know what the worst part of not being famous was? Jimmy Fallon Jr. <laughs> yeah. I, if you, I might hold you to that. When you're, if you are like, hey guys, check it out. I'm going to be a guest on the talk show. I'm going to call you up and be like, you know what story you have to tell. You have to plug this fucking podcast. No, I'm going to talk about what a, how degrading coming up as a as a creative is, and the example number one of most degrading bullshit you feel obliged to do is your fucking friend's podcast about the industry. Awesome. <laughs> and then I'm going, to, I'm going to fucking pull a clip of this, and everyone's going to boo. <laughs> but no, by that point, everyone will be like booing because they're like, "We've heard it. It's our favorite podcast. We've listened to every episode." We love Daniel Acker. We just went to his book tour. All right, but in all seriousness, unless this is seriously what you would tell. Uh, you brought up a good point. I would not want to. I don't want to signal boost you at all. Uh, what's a funny fucking story? You know, okay. Here's something that's funny. Here's something that I think people don't know about. It's not really a story, but sort of a fun uh, TV factoid. There's this thing called Real Screen. And it is a annual conference of reality TV producers. All of the big muckety mucks of the reality TV industry go to a conference like they're fucking mattress salesmen, like they're, you know, like they're door to door life insurance salesmen. They go to this conference and they think that it's like cool, but it's no one thinks it's cool, but also everyone goes. It used to be in DC because that's where Discovery Channel and Nat Geo headquarters are. And back when it started, it was about like actual documentary. It was like selling your documentary film to National Geographic was like the goal. And now it's like, the property brothers are giving a panel in the bakery room. It's like, yeah. <laughs> like you know, meet a mentor round table with some, you know, person from the mailroom at CAA. There's, so there's all these industry people. And there's also people who like work for like conservation companies and stuff who are like, you got to come film my like, gorilla sanctuary in South Africa and we like spent $10,000 to come to this mixer to like try and convince anyone who will hear our story that our gorillas are good television and meanwhile it's like they're trying to buy like honey boo boo oh you know? my god so anyway there's a there's a once a year it's now they I think they do it in New Orleans now because they realized no one wanted to go to DC in February <laughs> yeah once a year if, if anyone's uh wants to see a real Jane Goodall uh you know sociological nightmare uh, check out the real screen conference and it's also just like i mean imagine some like like the head of like a, a major cable network in like a really fitted suit and like no tie with a lanyard on like in a ballroom take like watching a your sizzle reel on an ipad it was surrounded by hundreds of other executives and producers and it's just like mm, mm. so you have both these people under contract right okay and is the daughter, like, how messed up is the daughter? Like, can she be on camera or does she need to be in the hospital the whole time? Okay, okay. And you're just like, oh my God, this is so dark. Yeah, it's, it's a weird, it's a weird, very concentrated dark energy. I've been uh, many, many times and uh, it's a dark, dark place. You, you tend to find the few other people who realize how crazy it is and then just huddle in a corner and drink the free drinks next to that. Well, Charlie, I want to thank you for coming on to my podcast. Thanks everybody for listening. I've been your host, Daniel Acker, and this is Almost Almost Famous. Mm -hmm.